Welcome to the Living Godcast. Our prayer is that this message speaks to you, impacts you, and inspires you. Please enjoy today's message, and we invite you to contact us if you need prayer, appreciate this word, or would like more information on Church of the Living God. Be blessed today. It's been a good month on Wednesday, I think, I hope. I hope you'd agree with that. Uh, We've had a good time in God's presence. We're not going to be doing worship tonight uh, because... Caleb and Shelby decided to have a baby, and it's so selfish of them to bring that baby home on a church night. And so Pastor Mike and Miss Angie are visiting their new granddaughter for the first time, so that's why they're not here, and that does have an impact on the worship team, so uh, we're just going to roll with it. I was telling Pastor Hall that um, there's a short list of good reasons to not be present for a pastor, and that's one of them, so uh, having a new grandbaby on the way, or delivered, I guess. All right. So tonight we're going to finish up what we've, what we've been talking about this month, and it's been kind of a, a developing thing that God has brought over the course of the few weeks, and uh, I'm grateful for how it's turned out, but uh, it's been interesting to see how it's unfolded. So last week in particular, we talked about uh, the why and the what. We've, we've been talking about the outflow of our heart, what that means for us as believers toward each other. And then uh, we're starting to shift toward what it means as we focus what comes out of our heart toward other people, non-believers, people outside the family. We are first obligated to the household of faith, amen? Galatians 6.10 tells us that. We are first obligated to the household of faith. But we are also in a world uh, that sees God and his kingdom as foolishness, right? And oddly enough, God has put us in this world to reach this world that sees what we do as foolish, and we see more and more what they do as foolish. Have you, you noticed the growing divide, that as we become more and more like Jesus, as you journey longer and longer in your Christian walk, that the world grows strangely dim, as the old song says. And it doesn't just mean that the pleasures are, are dim, but it means that the, the thinking gets dim. And the understanding doesn't make sense anymore. Our, our mindset, our goals, our values, all of that begins to diverge greater and greater the longer we serve Jesus, or that should be the case. And so we find ourselves increasingly, as we journey, unlike the world, hopefully, but still called to reach the world, still called to show them Jesus. And so we have to consider how do we do that. Last week we talked about the why in particular, the why portion. Why are we doing Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he do what he did? He, he mentioned in John 14, 31, this was his entire motivation, that the world may know that I love the Father and that I will do whatever he commands me to do. So let's arise from here and let's go. And he was actually saying, let's go to Jerusalem. We're going to the cross. This is the will of my Father. I'm doing this. This is the defining moment in Jesus' life and ministry, okay? This would be the big break. This is what he's known for. To this day, he's known for the cross. But he went to the cross because he loved his Father. So we have to, as a church, establish, set in stone, why do we want to do what God says? Why? We love him because he first loved us. Amen? That's what it says in 1 John 4. We love him because he first loved us. We love our Father, and we want the world to know that we love our Father. That's why Church of the Living God exists. 
We want the world to know that we love our Father. But we show that by doing what our Father says, by doing the things that He's called us to do. He's called us to plant churches. He's called us to make disciples. He's called us to raise up spiritual fathers and mothers who raise up spiritual fathers and mothers. That's what He's called us to do. And all of that works together. Although it's different facets, different sides of the same thing, it all works together as the mission that God's given us. Just like with Jesus. His, he didn't just show up and then go to the cross. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He multiplied food. He cast out demons. He did all these things. His ministry was very multifaceted. It was very dimensional what he did. And all of that was for the end goal that the world may know that, we, that he loves our, his father. Okay, So for us, that's our motivation. We have to decide. If we're going to be effective in Winchester, we've got to decide. We're not doing this to build a big church. We're not doing this to build a personal platform. Right? We're not doing this so that people know who we are, so that we get business cards with our gifting on it. We're not doing it for any reason like that, to get a following online, none of that. It's not about that. It's about them knowing that we love our Father, and we're going to do what He says to do. That's, that's it, singularly. That is it. That's the motivation behind everything. What happens a lot in the church world is that the, the motivation and the method get switched. A lot of times people hyper-focus on the method. The what. And they neglect the why. And that's why you have people who rise up in prominence through their gifting, through their method, right? They rise up in prominence, but they can't endure. They can't last. They fall. They fall into sin. They fall into immorality. Whatever it is, they fall because their why, their motive, never becomes so part of them that it changes their character. Right? If I want to please the Father, I will do whatever it takes to please the Father. That means I'll talk the way he wants me to talk. I'll go where he wants me to go. I'll be with people he wants me to be with. I'll marry who he wants me to marry. You, you with me? You see what I'm saying? But if I am more focused on building something for myself, even in the name of God, building something, without getting that motive right first, then that can't endure. It can't endure. The, the, the saying is that if you have to self-promote, you have to self-sustain. Amen? That's not how the kingdom of God works. God gives promotion. The Bible says promotion comes from the Lord. He will make room for our gift. When we settle within us that we are here to we are here because we love him to do as he says. That's it. If he says to plant churches, we're going to plant churches. Amen? If he says to disciple people, we're going to disciple people. If he says to raise up fathers and mothers, we're going to do that because we love him. No other reason. I don't, I don't care if anybody knows my name. All I want to hear, and you've heard him say this too, is well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I want to hear. You're faithful in what I gave you to do. That's, that's all that it's about. That's all that matters. So the why is hugely important. If we start there, whatever we do from there will be blessed. Whatever we do from there will prosper. Whatever flows out of our heart will be right. Okay? It, it doesn't mean it will be accepted, but it will be right before God. That's what matters. There were people who walked away from Jesus, but Jesus was right. There will be people that may walk away from us, but we'll be right before our Father. That's what matters most, okay? So we're talking about the why and the what. This is what we talked about last week, the why. We can push through culture when we know our why. We can push through pain when we know our why, okay? We have to have the why settled and established. And what we landed on last week at the end was Ultimately, if we have a heart toward our Father, that means we have a heart toward others. 
in particular toward the lost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If I love my father like Jesus loved the father, then I will love what the father loves. Amen? I will love what he loves. And we sing about Jesus loving us, and Jesus does love us, but he loves us because he loves the Father. So we need to be those kind of people. Why do we do an outreach? Because we feel guilty. We think we ought to. We think we're better than people. I I don't know. Pick something. No, that's not why. No, we do it because we love our Father. Why do we tell people about Jesus? Because we've had an encounter with him because he loved us first, right? So what I want to talk about today, I want to shift, I want to end on the what. So I'm going to call this the why and the what part two. That's an easy, cheap way out as a speaker is to do a part two. I told you Sunday I didn't know how it was going to end up, and I didn't until today. So we're going to call it part two. But we're going to talk about the what tonight, the method. What methods in the Bible were effective? What methods did Jesus use? Before he told his disciples, what did he model before he told his disciples to go and make disciples? What did he do that worked? Why are we still talking about the things that he did? Because he had a method. His why was settled. He was doing it for the Father. Then it's time to demonstrate. It's time to show methodology. So you'll hear me say quite often from the pulpit that you don't have to witness with a bullhorn on a street corner. Amen? You don't. I think that unless you're called to be an evangelist, unless you're given that direction from God, you'll probably have a difficult time making an impact that way. It's not that people don't make an impact that way. They can, and they do. But I don't think it's a mass effort that we should all try to do. I don't think we all need our own bullhorns and neon signs. I remember a few years ago, I took the youth group to Winter Jam at Rupp, and we were uh, outside. The seats were first come, first serve, and so they would snake all the people back through the parking lot down there that's now gone. And we were in line, and there was this guy up on the up near the front, near the building. There was this guy up there with a bullhorn, and he had these little kids with him. And I, I felt so bad for, for the little kids. These little bitty guys, uh, probably five, six years old, up to maybe ten, three or four of them. And they were holding these, these signs, these neon signs. Repent, you're going to hell. Uh, you know, lay down your, you know, lay down your chains, whatever. You know, it wasn't like anything encouraging. It was very condemning. And the craziest part to me was we were there for a Christian concert. Like the vast majority of the people there claimed to know Jesus. Now, I'm not under any illusion that they all did. We had people in our group that probably didn't know Jesus. But the fact remains, this guy's up there, and he's yelling. There's, there's girls, teenage girls walking by, and he's calling them Jezebels. Now, were they dressed maybe the best way? Probably not. Would I be okay with that? Probably not. Would I call them a Jezebel? Probably not. Right? You attract more, more flies with honey, don't you? I don't know. What's the saying? Anyway. You attract flies with anything, I guess. The, uh, the guy was just, it was berating. And at one point, one of the artists came out and actually talked to the guy and tried to say, hey, come in and see, man. We're not here. We're not trying to. Send people to hell. We believe in Jesus. We're trying to promote Jesus and his kingdom. And the guy, he, he'd written us all off. He'd assumed that we were all going to hell because we were at a Christian rock concert. And I say that with air quotes because there was very little bit of it that was rock, you know. And, uh, and it certainly wasn't sin. And so it was, a very, it was an eye-opening experience. And a lot of the young people had, they were confused by it. 
And at one point, when our group got up near the guy, we, we all started chanting, we're on the same team, we're on the same team, we're on the same team. And it was very challenging for them. And it confused them, and so I had to say, hey, look, this is what they think works. It's like the Westboro Baptist Church going out and picketing at military funerals. Why on earth would you think that's a, something that's going to advance the kingdom of God? Why would anybody think that? So, so understand, there are methods out there that people employ, sometimes on a large scale, but it doesn't mean they're effective. If we're going to do stuff in our city and make a difference, I want it to be effective. If I'm going to reach out to people that I work with, that I see every day and may see every day for the next 25 years, then I better do something smart. I better do something tactful. I better do something that makes an impact through relationship instead of isolating people and condemning them in their, in their failure. Listen, people don't need help knowing that they've messed up. You, you know better than anybody how much you've messed up. And the, the sinners are no different. So we have to remember that the goal is to produce disciples and not just converts. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, Go forth and make disciples of all nations. Not converts, disciples, lifelong followers. Now, conversely, as believers, I think, even as Pentecostals, we're probably too timid in a lot of situations about sharing what God's done in our life. Is that a fair statement? I'll tell you right now, I've been too timid in sharing the things that God has done in my life or in my family's life. And so even though we're Pentecostal and we talk a big game, we, like, we love miracles, we love chill bumps, we love speaking in tongues, falling on the floor, we love seeing what God can do. We love it in here. But the idea of taking that out is quite different. And I'm not saying that what happens in here would necessarily happen the same way out there as far as pumping up the music and getting everybody, you know. I'm not saying it, it probably can if you facilitate it the right way. But because it's different, we become timid about it. So I'd like for us to consider tonight methods that bring an impactful change to individuals. And then, as it changes individuals, it changes communities. And there's biblical evidence for this. So I want to go, firstly tonight, to uh, John chapter 4. I want to identify, really, I've got three stories. I don't know if I'll get through all three of them. But I want to identify three components of effective sharing, effective witnessing, effective testimony, okay, uh, about Jesus. The first one is the Word of God, the truth of God's Word and love. You're going to see these in this stories, in, in these different stories. The truth of the Word of God presented through God's love. The Word of God can be quite harsh if you don't bring it in love, but anything can, okay? It's not that the Word of God is harsh in its nature. It's all about the presentation. It's how you bring it. If you bring it in a condemning, strong, overbearing way, people, you could say anything, and it, it can put somebody on their heels. So the Word of God is no different in that way. But we need to bring the truth of God's Word in love. The second thing is going to be power. I'm talking about effective impact in the Bible. It's power. There's power involved when effect is brought. And then the third thing is the testimony of the transformed. These are three things that you're going to see in these stories. And what I see most often in my church life is that usually you'll see two of the three. You'll see word, you'll see testimony, but you won't see power. Or you'll see power and you'll see testimony, but there won't be any word. You with me? Think about the things we see on Christian TV. Think about the, the, a few years ago there was a, a, a meme made of Benny Hinn swinging his coat 
over people. And somebody said, they need, the military needs to weaponize this. And it was this clip of Benny Hinn swinging his, his jacket over people, people falling, right? And in the meme, it was, it was hilarious because it, was, it looked funny. It was awesome, very clever. And, and it was just, you know, all these sounds and explosions and people are falling and all this stuff, and it was really well done. But the context is the word of God and the power of God and the testimony of those people once they got up. Right? You can misconstrue any of that, but if, you, if you're missing any of these components, then it creates a scenario where effect is lost. So as we move forward in planting churches and making disciples and growing up fathers and mothers to make fathers and mothers, as we do all that, we need to consider as we go out to work and to Walmart and to Kroger, we need to consider these components, the, the truth of God's word given in love, the power of God, undeniable power of God. Paul said that, that the gifts of the Spirit are a testimony to the unbeliever. You, you can tell, he tells a story in 1 Corinthians 14 of somebody giving a word of knowledge to someone, a, a, a non-believer, and them being broken by the experience because it was something that only they knew. But because God revealed the contents of their heart, they were transformed by it. So you see the difference. The truth of God's word, the power of God, the power of God. Not in a cheap parlor trick kind of way, but power, undeniable gifting on display. And, and again, as Pentecostals, we want to gravitate toward that. We're like, All right, let's go out and pray for people. That's awesome. That's great. But if they don't know who Jesus is, your prayer is not going to be all that effective all the time. Understand, God can do anything with anybody. He can show up, he can kick the door in, cast out a demon, heal a leg, he can do whatever he wants to do. But we want to talk about effect, effective change, okay? And then the testimony that comes from that. So, the first story is in John chapter 4. It's the woman at the well. It's a familiar story. Remember, Jesus said that he must, I must needs go through Samaria. Specifically, he went to a city called Sukkar. And he went to this city to meet a woman at the well. Have you guys seen that show uh, called The Chosen? Have you guys seen that? Anybody know what that is? Raise your hand if you know what it is. All right. All right, cool. It's an app. It's actually based in an app. But it's a, a reenactment of uh, the life of Christ. And it's very well done. Most Christian things like that are not very well done. But this one is. And it's entertaining and it's powerful. And if you don't mind, I'd like to show you a clip. Is that okay? It's a few minutes long. But it's powerful. And I want to show you, I want you to watch this video through those, the lens of those three things. The truth of God's word, the power of God, undeniably, and then the testimony that comes from it after her encounter, okay? And then we're going to dive in. All right, Steve, hit it for me. Man, that's beautiful, wasn't it? Is that, did that get to anybody else? Man, I know, I'm all teared up too, and I've watched it like a thousand times. How awesome. And I realize it's dramatized, and I realize, you know, we don't know exactly. A lot of, of course, of that dialogue is in John chapter 4. We don't know exactly how it went. But the impact, right? And if you read the story, you see the same thing. You see the word, the truth of God's word brought in love. You see the power by telling her everything she'd ever done. An undeniable thing. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be a production. It just has to be real, right? And then testimony from the transformed she went out. In verse 35 of John chapter 4, the woman has gone back into the city, and Jesus is having a dialogue with his disciples. And he says to them, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. 
And he, as he's saying that to them, the people from the city of Sukkar, where this woman is, where she has just gone back, are coming out to hear about this one that told her everything that she'd ever done through a word of knowledge. And because of that, because of that testimony, that transformation, the people come. And Jesus says to the disciples, he says, hey, harvest is now. Here's the harvest. Verse 36, it says, he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sowed and he that reaps may rejoice together. Verse 37, and herein is that saying true, one sows and another reaps. Verse 38, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. There are people that we may never know that have sown seeds that we'll reap from. Generations that have gone before us that sowed seeds in the heavens, that sowed seeds into parents and grandparents whose now children and grandchildren we're interacting with. They've sown seed. And Jesus says that as believers, when we start dealing with the harvest, we're going to start reaping from seed that we didn't even sow. We don't have to sow it all. Isn't that good news? We don't have to sow it all. We, we don't have to be the ones who first went to that street. Somebody did. We just have to go and reap. Or who first talked to that person. We get to go and reap the seed. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to originate everything. It says in verse 39, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I, I did. They came to believe on Jesus because of her testimony. She had an encounter with the truth of the Word of God, the power of God, undeniably, and it transformed her, and she told people about it. So there's two things that happen. In Pentecost, a lot of times we think that we've all got to be the ones with the words of knowledge and the word of wisdom. And now, can we? Sure. I don't think, I don't think that that's off limits. You know, Paul said to seek the, the good gifts of the Spirit. We can do that. We can seek to prophesy. We can seek words of wisdom, word of knowledge. But sometimes the testimony is the most effective thing we can do. Sometimes our job is to share about our encounter, not to grab them by the head and tell them what they thought of on their bed at night. Let's take that pressure off of us that, that oh, i got to pray for the sick if we're going out. If God tells you to, do it. If he doesn't, tell them what he's done for you. We don't have to make a production out of witnessing. Amen? We don't. We don't have to transform the city by doing big things at the park. We can and we might. But you might make an impact at work by just telling people how Jesus changed your life. About the moment that he showed up and everything turned. I'm all for power. I'm all for power as long as God's in it. But we don't have to be all in on just power. We have to have the truth of the Word of God. We have to see transformation and testimonies that come from it. The testimony brought the people out. The testimony caused some people to believe. Verse 40 says, So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would stay with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. So the testimony of the woman, the initial encounter of the woman, brought some people out. 
And then those people had their own encounter with Jesus. And many more believed because of their own encounter with his word. His word, not his miracles, his word, his word. It wasn't just miracles, and it wasn't just word. It was all of it working together, right? Verse 42, and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of your saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Man, testimony, the truth of the, of the word of God, the power of God on display. Why don't we just operate in what we're gifted to do and what we're called to do? Amen. If you've got gifts of healing, use it as God tells you. If you don't, don't beat yourself up. Testify. Testify. Tell them about when God healed, healed you or healed your kid or whatever he did. Testify. In Mark chapter 5, we get to another story very familiar, the maniac of Gadara. They come to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They land in the country of the Gadarenes in the area of the Decapolis. And when Jesus was come out of the ship, Mark 5 verse 2, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran where? To Jesus. He didn't run away. He ran to Jesus. This man had a legion of demons in him. Possibly 6,000 demons. That's the Roman equivalent of a legion. 6,000 demons. And yet in that moment, every one of them ran to Jesus and bowed themselves before him and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God, torment me not. For Jesus said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. This is the power of God. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So the, the demon barters with Jesus and asked that he not be sent out of the country. Jesus gave him permission to go into a herd of swine that was nearby. The swine had more sense than a lot of people and drove themselves off a cliff. They, they'd rather die than be full of the devil. And uh, they, they did that. And it made an impression on the guys who were in charge of the swine, the pigs. They run into town. And they say, hey, guess what happened? The maniac, he's encountered somebody. And that somebody had power to tame him. We've not been able to. You've not been able to. But somebody else did. It says in uh, verse 15, they came to Jesus. And they see the man that was possessed with the devil that had the legion sitting, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. Remember, we're, we're looking at these stories through the truth of God's word, through the power of God, undeniably, and through the testimony. So they see this man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They saw it, and it was told to them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the pigs, and they began to pray Jesus to depart from their land, from their coasts. When he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed Jesus that he may be with him. But Jesus suffered him not and said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord has done for thee 
and has had compassion on thee. And the man departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. He did this amazing miracle. He, he set someone free, delivered this man who was known for his bondage. And the man wanted to go and be, be the 13th disciple. And Jesus said, no, I need you to stay here. Go home. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell everybody you know what's happened, what God has done. A testimony. What's interesting is, is that although the people in the Decapolis were afraid of Jesus, two chapters later, Jesus comes back. And this time, they meet Jesus by the thousands. This time, they come out into the wilderness, and they stay with Jesus for days. They're not afraid anymore of who Jesus is because they've heard about a man. They were marveled by a man who had been so possessed that even literal chains could not hold him, but Jesus set him free. And when this same Jesus came back, they wanted to know him. And in, in uh, Mark chapter 7, Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, and this, he healed the deaf and, and the mute, and he did all these things. But this is where, in chapter 8, we see the other story where Jesus fed the 4,000 men, plus women and children. He fed the 5,000 over in Galilee, but he fed the 4,000 in the Decapolis. He, he multiplied food and did a miracle in the Decapolis region. It was all because a man got free and he told people about it. He had an encounter with the truth of the Word of God. He had an encounter with the power of God, and he told people about it. Have you had an encounter? Do we have some stories in the place? Do we know that God can heal, that he can deliver, that he can do things? He can. We know it. We've seen it. But that's our tool. That's our vehicle. He went out and he did it, and it changed the region. It prepared the ground for Jesus to come again. And when he came, he was effective, and the people were changed. Last, after Jesus had died and resurrected, after the day of Pentecost, when the church was dispersed throughout the region of, of Israel and Samaria, we see in Acts chapter 8, we see Philip going down to the, city of, uh, to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. They, they heard and they saw the miracles which he did. They heard the truth of the word of God. They saw the power of God. And it impacted them. For unclean spirits, it says in verse 7, unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Great joy in that city. I don't know if Philip went out and did a big crusade. I don't know what he did, but wherever he went, he talked about the truth of the Word of God. He demonstrated the power of God, and testimonies came. Testimonies came. How do we know that? Because later on, we encounter, uh, Philip encounters a man in verse 9 named Simon. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed for the, the least, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. But it was sorcery, it was counterfeit. And to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women, and Simon himself believed also. A sorcerer, not a guy with a bad attitude, a sorcerer believed 
also. Why? Because of what he was seeing in the people around him. The transformation, the change that was happening from the word of God and the power of God. And it was a testimony to him. And a sorcerer came to Jesus. Man, we're worried about that person who's a a jerk at work. This guy used magic. Sorcery, fueled by the kingdom of darkness, fueled by demons and manipulation. He believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. He became a disciple and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Then the church back in Jerusalem heard what was going on in Samaria, so they sent Peter and John. And when they came down and prayed for them, they prayed that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So all of this awesome stuff was happening, and nobody spoke in tongues. Nobody did any of the Holy Ghost stuff except Philip. Then Peter and John show up. The big guns come up. And then they lay hands on everybody. Everybody starts receiving the Holy Ghost. And Simon, in his immaturity, he says, hey, I'll give you money for that. I'll give you money for that. And Peter kind of bites his head off. And then, yeah, yeah. Then answered Simon, verse 24, and said, pray ye to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Impact. Impact. We're doing it because we love our Father and because he's told us to. Amen? But building the kingdom of God is not just about putting churches in every town around us. That's a start. That's one of the things. It's one of the facets. It's not just about... Uh, teaching people about successful living and healthy relationships and service to God and mankind, all that stuff that's in our mission statement, that's all facets of what God has called us to do. Making disciples and fathers and mothers, it's all about that, absolutely, absolutely. But if we don't have the truth of the Word of God, the power of God, and the testimony of transformation, we're not going to make a difference in Winchester. We're not going to. Or in Mount Sterling or Richmond or Lexington or Paris. We're not going to. So we have to decide. We're talking about the method, the what. The why is established, amen? The what. Whatever our method, we got to include these things. If I'm talking to somebody at work, I've got to bring the truth of the word of God in love. Got to. Not as a hammer, but in love, if at all possible. Don't get me wrong. There's some people that just like to debate and argue. The best thing you can do is stay out of the debate. It's the best thing you can do. Walk away. Let them argue with themselves, whatever they want to do. Just The Bible says that if you argue with a fool, you'll be mistaken for one. That's what it says in Proverbs. It doesn't mean that God can't save them. It just doesn't mean it's the time. Right? That's right. So we need to bring the truth of the word of God in love when we can. When there's an open door, we've talked about this a lot on Sunday. When there's an open door at the lunch table, step through it. When there's an open door on the work trip, step through it. This is what God did for me. This is what is, and if God gives you a word, give it. If God gives it, you better give it. Amen? If he tells you, hey, tell him this or that. I mean, with fear and trembling, all right? Don't just strut around, you know, profit this, right? Fear and trembling. Be wise. Be responsible with what God's gifted you with. Amen? But let's use what God gifted us with. If that thing's burning in you, share it. If God tells you to pray for them, pray for them if they'll let you. If he tells you to pray for healing, pray for healing. Do something undeniable. Do it responsibly. Do it through the word of God. And then testify. 
I think it's the easiest witness in the world is to testify. Tell people what God did for you. And it, 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 it excites people. It is an invitation for folks because they can debate your theology, but they can't debate your experience. Amen? They can tell you why the Bible is this or that, but they can't tell you why it worked for you. You can tell me all day long God doesn't still heal, heal people, but I know he does. You can say that it ended after the apostles, but we've got people in this room, in this building right now, who are evidence that it did not end. Because when they prayed, God moved. You can't deny experience. They call it delusion, they call it whatever they want. But when I talked to him and he talked back and things changed, you can't deny that. So as as we flow out of our hearts, as we talk about all the things that flow out, as we move ahead toward what God has called us to do, as a church, as individuals, as we try to make disciples and become spiritual fathers and mothers ourselves and raise up sons and daughters, as we try to plant churches someday in the cities around us, as we do all that, this stuff has to be a part of it. Don't ever walk into an opportunity and not know the Word of God. Don't do that. Bring the Word of God that you know. If you don't know it, tell them you don't know it. If they're asking you about Revelation and you don't know, tell them, I don't know. I've not really read Revelation. I don't know much about that. But I do know about X, Y, and Z. Amen? Let's use wisdom, but let's be on mission. Let's let what God has put in us flow out of us. Yes, Jesus did these amazing things. Yes, he had the Holy Spirit without measure. Yes, we have it with measure. We have limitations that that he didn't have. But he said that we will do the same things that he's done and greater. That's what he said. And then he told us, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now go forth and make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And, And lo, I'm with you always. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 and 20, I think. It's all in there. We go in power, we go in the truth of the word of God, and we see transformation, amen? This is, what, this is what God's calling this house to. And that doesn't mean he's calling the building to it. It means he's calling us to it. And that also doesn't mean he's just calling the ministers to it. It means he's calling you to it. And again, you don't have to get up there and scream and spit at them and tell them, ah, God said, ah, you don't have to do that. Okay? Trust me, it wears you out after a while anyway. You don't have to do that. You just got to be real. Amen? Do what Jesus did. Wasn't that a beautiful representation of that story? I, I can't imagine a better way that it could have gone. But Jesus was effective because he brought the truth of the word of God with love. He brought it with power, undeniable power. And the testimony that came from it made a difference in, in communities. And who knows, man? Who knows? Maybe that person that you're working on at work, that person that's on your mind a lot, maybe that person's the key to a whole group of people. Just like she was the key to that community. Or the maniac of Gadara was the key to a region. Amen? That's why Jesus went there. He knew that guy was there. He knew what he needed, and he knew he could help him. God, show us those key people. What if that person you work with is the key to their large family coming to Jesus or their small family? What if they're the key to the company? What if they are the key to a community, a neighborhood, a city? Man, you know, the guy who won Billy Graham to Jesus, 
He didn't win nearly as many people as Billy Graham did. But if he never won Billy Graham to Jesus, how many millions wouldn't be in heaven? The key, the key person. Let's stand up tonight. Let's pray. You receive this word? It's all right. Does it make sense? Is it challenging but, but hopeful? Right? It doesn't, I hope it doesn't make you feel like, oh, I can't do this. I, I want to give you practical tools to walk out with because I needed this. I needed this because I've been timid as well. I've had things that God wanted me to say to people that I've not said because I was afraid. But this shows us tonight, these stories show us that impact and transformation can come when we just, we just do what God's put in us to do. Amen? Let's lift our hands tonight. Let's ask God, God, make this house a house full of people who operate in this kind of method. That we get, God, we've established our why. We're doing this because we love you. Because you first loved us, Father. But God, give us the method. Give us the command. And even as you command, Father, so we will do. So we will do. God, command us at work, command us at home, command us at Kroger, command us everywhere that we go, God, for a word, for a gift, whatever it is, for a testimony, God. Use us. We give you permission. Use us. No matter how young, how old, no matter how experienced or inexperienced, use what we know about you, Lord God, to bring transformation to Winchester, to Mount Sterling, to Richmond, to Lexington, to Central Kentucky, God. Give us, let it flow out of us, Lord. Break every dam, break everything that is blocking or obstructing what you've put in us to flow out. Break it all, Lord. You said in your word that rivers of living water would come out of us, God. Change the landscape through the rivers that you've put in us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening today to The Living Godcast. We trust and pray that you are blessed by today's word. If you would like to contact us for prayer or for more information about Church of the Living God, please visit our Facebook page at WinCityCOLG or give us a call at 859-745-1865.